So tonight is um, Romans 5, which is like my, one of my like, favorite chapters of the whole Bible. Um, and so I'm excited about this one myself. And so we're going to do work in Romans 5. So we'll read some, and then I'll speak a little bit. We'll like, kind of unpack what is happening in the text, and then we'll read a little more, and then we'll unpack a little more, and then we'll read a little more, and we'll unpack a little more until we finish the whole, uh, the whole thing, all right, all of Romans 5. And so if you were here last month, we did Romans 4. Romans 5 is not nearly as bad as Romans 4 was. Uh, so Romans 4 was a doozy. Uh, Romans 5 is a whole lot of fun, all right. Um, but... To fully embrace Romans 5, here's what we have to do to fully embrace Romans 5, okay? To fully embrace what Romans 5 is, the essence of this chapter, and all that Paul is communicating to us through this chapter, we have to fully embrace and understand the character and the nature of God, okay? And so say character, say nature. So we have to be able to fully embrace the character and nature of God. Isaiah 6, 3, and one cried to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if any of you take Pipeline, you will hear this question multiple times. Pipeline, by the way, is the leadership and theology class we teach here. It starts in September if you want to start. Graduation's Friday. Uh, and so, uh, so graduation's Friday uh, if you want to come watch people graduate from that. Anyways, uh, and then it starts again in September. Registration opens, I think, literally Sunday. So, anyways, we ask one question in Pipeline. It's an important question because everything about our Christianity is surrounded, is centered around this question. And this question, Pipeline students, don't answer it. What is God above anything else? What is God above anything else? I don't want you to yell it out, okay, but I just want you to think about it. Most of the answers we get is like love. He's love above anything else. Or he's grace above anything else. And no, he is not those things above anything else. He is those things, but he's not those things above anything else. What God is above anything else is holy. And it is in his holiness that everything about God comes from God. All right. So to help you out for a second, holiness is the perfection of all things. So God doesn't have love. He is love. He defines what love is. It is only by his love that we measure what love is. Our love is an inferior love compared to God's love. Right, And so we, God, in his holiness, creates the measuring stick by which we measure all things that are good. Joy, peace, love, truth, righteousness, justice. God is all of those things. And so we have to understand what God is and who God is before we can really get a, a good grip on what Romans 5 is trying to tell us. Okay, So God is holy above all things. And since he's holy above all things, that means he's, his righteousness is perfect righteousness. And how many of you guys know our righteousness is not perfect righteousness, right? Our righteousness is jacked up, right? If you don't believe me, ask the person next to you, and they'll tell you that your righteousness is jacked up, all right? So our righteousness is messed up. Our love is messed up. How many of you know that you can love somebody as much as you possibly can, but you can still do them wrong? But God's love is perfect. God's justice is perfect. How many of you guys know that earthly justice is not perfect, but God's justice is perfect. So he's, God doesn't have, and we, we talk about this in, in the second year of Pipeline, that God doesn't even have attributes. He has perfections. Because he's the standard by which everything else gets measured. And so, as we dive into this, we need to understand that he is holy. And so, the book of Revelation and the prophet Isaiah both say that the angels gather around him singing what? 
Not love, love, love. Not grace, grace, grace. Not truth, truth, truth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And out of his holiness, all the other things are perfect. That makes sense? Okay, now we can get into Romans 5. All right. So, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All right, let's stop there for a second at verse 5. And let's look, let's unpack what God is talking, or what Paul is talking about as he's referencing God. First of all, in verse 1, I love this because out the gate, Romans 5 tells us that we are justified by what? How well we follow the rules? Then why do we always think that it's good rule followers that go to heaven? Your ability to check religious boxes is not the credentials of Christianity. Now, it is the fruit of Christianity. So because we're saved, we should aim to do these things, but it is not because we do these things that we are saved. We're justified by faith, and faith alone, we would go to Ephesians 2 if we had time, but Lord knows we do not have time for Ephesians 2 tonight. So we're justified by faith, and because of that, we have peace. And I want you to underline some words, justified, faith, and peace. If you have your Bibles, I want you to highlight or, or underline those justified, faith, and peace. Because these words are important to Romans 1 and 2. What's happening here, or Romans 5, 1 and 2, what's happening here is we are getting a clear picture of what Paul wants us to understand where we were and that where we now are. And the reason that we're there. Because he says, that we are at peace with God through Jesus Christ, which means we were once his enemies and now we're his friends. We were once his enemies, but now we've been adopted into sonship or daughtership in 2022. All right, so we've been adopted as children of God. And we have, so when he says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did at the cross when he paid for our sins, we who were once enemies of God are now friends of God. Right? And so we have peace with God. We're no longer his enemies, and we were his enemies because of sin. Let's keep going. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith. You can circle or underline faith. Into this, the next word, into this grace in which we stand. We have access. We have access to grace by what? Faith. So once again, Paul is solidifying a concept here. Now, he does this over and over again because he's talking to a group of people that still believe that they can get to God through the access of the law. And so he's going, no, no, no. We have access by faith into grace. So let me help you for a second. If we had time, I would break it down with Ephesians 2, but we don't. You are saved by grace. The grace of God saves you, and you have access to it by faith. So by believing in Christ that he died for your sins, resurrected on the third day. By believing in Christ, you are saved by the grace of God that is offered to us through Christ. Does that make sense? Now, I know that sounds very simple, but that is not easy. Because how many guys, how many of you maybe are like me, where you have felt terrible on the days you didn't kill it? 
You're like, man, I just don't know if God, I don't know if God's got me, man. And what Paul is trying to communicate here is it is your faith in Christ alone that gives you access to the grace that saves you. And it's only, you're only saved by the grace alone that is afforded to you through Christ Jesus. And grace, listen to me, is unmerited, unearned, inaccessible on your own favor from God. And so we get access to grace through that. But then it says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, let me help you. It it means to rejoice in the hope of his eternal glory. Partially, and let me me unpack this in a way that it will help you understand, partially in the face of an inglorious world. So we have hope in the glory of God, but we have hope in the eternal glory of God. See, I don't know about you, but I fall in love with this world too much. And so since I fall in love with this world too much, God allows things to happen in this world to remind me that this world isn't my home. Sickness, disease, death, all of those things aren't meant to exist in God's space. So he allows Christians to experience what isn't in God's space so that we can be reminded of what it's going to be like when we're in God's space. So there's an eternal glory that we have hope in because we've lost all hope in this world. And so when you feel hopeless about the way this world is going, be encouraged. God made it that way. I know that's very frustrating because it's like, man, we don't want to experience sickness, disease, death. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to go through any of those things. But I'm here to tell you, all of those things are meant not to make you look down, but to make you look up. Every one of those things that you experience are are there to cause you to say, oh, my gosh, this hurts so bad. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to experience this. I don't want death to come to my front door. I don't want disease. I don't want hurt. I don't want pain to come for me. But, But because it's coming for me, it reminds me that there's a day when it's not coming for me. It reminds me of a day when I will stand in the presence of God, and all things that are broken in this world will be made right in that one. And I get to celebrate for where I'm going, not just get caught up in where I'm at. That's why the same person that wrote this passage also wrote 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, which I am going to read you because it's just too good. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. I'll be done by the time you get there. Don't worry about it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And this is where we pick up. And you, many of you have heard this verse before. I've used it recently. We are afflicted in every way but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death. In other words, if we live in the flesh, we're constantly aware that death is looming. Right? And if you drive in Pensacola, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? So, like, blinkers. Just a blinker. It would be fantastic. Anyway, all right. So, death is always looming. That was maybe not funny to someone that's been in a car wreck. Anyways, whatever. So, always carrying around the body, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And this is what it says in verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. In other words, for all the awareness that we have, that death is constantly working in us, that we are constant, our body, the second we were born, our body began to decay. 
The second we took our first breath, we were working towards our last one. And so it says that death is at work in us. And that, that doesn't mean, that sounds kind of morbid. It sounds more hostile than it should. What it means is you are progressing towards your final breath. And don't be shocked when the final breath comes because though death reigns in your body, life reigns in Christ. In other words, when you leave here, you get to go there. Which is the encouragement that we should all cling to as we look at what the Bible says and as we look at what Paul says and as we look at what God is trying to help us understand through his word. That when we fall more in love with this world, we have a harder time separating this world from where we're actually supposed to be. Which is why I believe Jesus said, for those that love your life, you will lose it. And if you lose your life, you will gain it. Why? Because if you love this world too much, you won't want what comes after it. I've said this many times, but if you got heaven on earth, why would you need heaven in heaven? But isn't that what we're constantly trying to obtain? The life of perfection, that is our goal. Man, the right job, the right house, the right car, no one's sick, right? Kids obey everything you say. Sounds like heaven. Pizza or chicken wings or Cinnabon every day. Sounds like heaven. And you don't gain any calories from any of it. Right? Sound like this is this is what I'm talking about. Now those are like joking examples. But hear me, some of us are attempting to get heaven on earth, not realizing that we have to experience the fragmented world to love what's coming more than we love what's now. And God will, listen to me, God will let you see it, and if you refuse to see it, he'll make you see it. I've told many of you before, God loved you too much to let you have what you thought you wanted. And so here we are now, looking to God, saying, all right, God, give me whatever it is you have for me, and that is what he's talking about here. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the eternal glory that is waiting for us, because this temporary glory just isn't cutting it. But hear me, friends. There's an eternal glory that's waiting for us. Like you should find great joy in the fact that this world is not our home. And there's something waiting for us. But hear me, we should live like that too. We should, we should live like that too. Let's keep on going. We've only made it to verse 2. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Pause. Anybody have a hard time with that? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. What kind of hope? The hope and glory. So our afflictions create, our afflictions are a reminder of what we're hoping for. And so what happens to us? We rejoice in our sufferings because our suffering produces endurance, and our endurance produces character. All of those things are us pursuing after God. Why? Because hope is waiting for us. And so we're pursuing after God because there's an eternal glory that's waiting for us. And so we have hope in where we're going, but we're allowing what is happening on this earth to bring about something in us that causes us to long for God more than we long for anything in this world. Now, I know you didn't get that out of Romans 5.3, but that's what it says. And I love 
what Matthew Henry said, hope is the outcome that the ground of affliction should produce. I'll say it again for those of you that are writing. Hope is the outcome that the ground of affliction should produce. When we're afflicted, we should become hopeful, not full of despair. Hope is the outcome that the ground of affliction should produce. When we view affliction properly, we view it as a temporary moment that points us to where our hope is at. Our hope is in what's eternal, and it won't put us to shame. That's what Paul is saying here. We don't have to worry about it being put to shame. We don't have to worry about our lives being full of shame. We don't have to worry about the fact that we hoped for something, but it didn't come. Anybody ever hoped for something that didn't come? You ever wanted that Christmas present, but you didn't get that Christmas present, right? Anybody ever, like, I remember one time my grandparents, like, I was so pumped to go to their house for, for Christmas. I was like, yo, because they always give the dopest presents. Like, so we were in Kentucky, and they, and they gave me a movie. I was like, I was eight years old, and I, was, I said this out loud. I was like, is this, is this all y'all got? My dad hit me so hard. <laughs> he said, the correct term is thank you. I said, thank you. <laughs> is this all y'all got, though? Okay, so, right. But hear me, our hope doesn't put us to shame. The reason that we're confident in, in what we believe, and this is what it says, it continues to say, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. The reason we know this is true is because the Spirit of God is in you to let you know it's true. It doesn't put it, we don't have to worry about this not being true because something has changed in us that may not have changed in other people. And this is why other people can't get what you've got. This is why other people can't see what you see. This is why, this is why unsaved people act unsaved when you've got something in you telling you you got to do something different. This is the reason they can go left when you go right because there's someone in you that's different than that's in them. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. So I'm not shocked when birds fly, when fish swim, and when sinners sin. Right, Because that's, they're doing what they do. And hear me, I still struggle with what I struggle with too, but there's something different inside of me that's constantly saying, hey, brother, you need to put that down. Hey, brother, you need to change that. Hey, you need to change how you talk to that person. Hey, you need to love your wife better. Hey, you need to do, like, what, what's happening? The Holy Spirit is in me, and I know that he's in me because I wouldn't do this on my own. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I love, I actually enjoy being me, right? I love going off on people. I actually find joy in it. You know what I'm saying? You do something stupid, I think you should know about it. Right? That's just how I feel. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is in me saying, hey, brother, you need to check that because that's not of God. That is of you. And I go, all right. But do you think I would do that on my own? So listen to me for those of you that have been struggling with your own salvation. If you can identify the ways in which God is changing you in ways you wouldn't change yourself, you've got God. You may, you may need to work out some things like we all do, Okay. But for those of you that the enemy has convinced you you may not be saved because you're struggling with some things, listen, if you are in fact struggling with them and not just giving yourself to them wholeheartedly, you've got some kind of God in you. And we just want to help you get moving along the way to where he's more evident. And that's what Romans 5 is talking about up until this point. I know y'all are like, man, I ain't reading none of this. Let's pick up at verse 6, all right? For while we were still weak, some translations say, while we were still sinners. Come on, man. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. In other words, you may know someone that's righteous. That don't mean you're going to die for them. Right? Love y'all. I believe I would die for anyone in this room. But I couldn't tell you I would watch someone that I love die for you. Right? But... It says that 
we would scarcely die for a righteous person that's a stranger. If you didn't know somebody and you're like, oh, they seem like a good person, would you die for them? Some of you are like, yes. Well, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. In other words, maybe if someone was a good person, maybe you would die for them. Maybe you would lay your life down with them. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, when we weren't good, come on, when we were at the club, when we were consumed by passions and sinful desires, when we were, listen, when we were out there wiling out, when we were dealing drugs, we were addicted to porn and sex and we, lustful desires, when we were consumed by the passions of our flesh, Ephesians 2 says, when we were consumed by everything God said put down and we struggled with, when we were consumed with that and we had no problem with it, when we were giving ourselves over to that, Jesus said, looked at us and said, yeah, that's the one I want. Come on. Come on, man. You can't even make this up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Find great comfort in the fact that Jesus saw you on your worst day and died for that version of you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, and there's that word again, you can underline it, by his blood. So, Paul makes it a point to Introduce this thought again. How are we justified? By works? No, by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And this is an important distinction <clears throat> because we are not saved from our sin. We're saved from the wrath of God because of our sin. Now, this is important in 2022 because there's a whole group of supposed Christians. I call them Christians with a K. Right? Y'all know crab with a K? Y'all get it at the Chinese buffet? Okay, that, you know. Anyways, so, y'all know what I'm talking about. So, Christians with a K, you know, it looks right, but uh, the book, 2 Timothy says they have a form of godliness, but deny the power within. That's kind of what I'm talking about right now. There's a whole group of Christians with a K that would tell you that the wrath of God wasn't necessary, and nor was it intact when Jesus died for us. That Jesus didn't consume the wrath of God, he just eliminated it. It just went away. But my Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And so since he never changes, that means Jesus consumed something on our behalf. Jesus didn't just get rid of the wrath of God. God had wrath set aside for you and for me. And when Jesus went to the cross, he said, I'll take that on myself so that they don't have to pay for it. And that should do something in us where we declare the goodness of God out of our mouth, out of our being. Why? Because he went where no one else could go and did what no one else could do for the people that didn't deserve it. And so we have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Hear me, the wrath of God is still very real and some people will suffer under it. But it does not make him wrong. Anyone that suffers under the wrath of God, it makes them wrong and him right because he's holy. He is the absolute perfection of what is right. Right? Let's keep going. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, this is an important distinction I want you to grab a hold of. Um, as we move into verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Verses 10 and 11 are important because we need to understand what Christ is doing right now. Again, God is holy and therefore 
Me and you have sin. Anybody sin? Anyone mess up today? Well, she's used today, right? On the way here, okay? Like, so you stopped. They didn't have your favorite whatever at the wherever, all right? So, like, so, like you, you are navigating sin. I am navigating sin. I want to ask you this question. You don't need to say it out loud, but I do want you to reflect on it for just a minute. Where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus right now? Right? Let me tell you where he's not in our hearts. Let me help you. Jesus is not, Jesus is not right here. Listen, Lydia is on a whole thing in that kids' church to make sure kids understand. You're like, I think she's breaking kids' heart in there. Like, listen to me, Jesus is not in your heart. The kids are like, oh my God. <laughs> but the last church. No, like so, but like, hear me. Jesus is not in your heart. Jesus is not in your heart. And I know, I get it. It's an innocent projection for us to help little ones understand that, that the Lord is inside of us, right? But, but it's an incorrect projection because, this is the reason why, because we actually need to understand where Jesus is because where he is matters in regards to what he's doing. So where is Jesus right now? Right? Well, let's go to Romans 8, 33 through 34. You don't have to turn there unless you have a phone. Because uh, it'll be, well, yeah, it's not too far away. You can turn there if you want to. It's like two pages. Romans 8, 33 through 34 says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Some translations say the elect. We are not doing that tonight. <laughs> Join Pipeline if you want that one. All right. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. Because it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life. Where is he at? Right here. Is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He is interceding for us. So where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? Interceding for us. Come on. If I haven't given you anything else that gives you confidence, that should give you confidence. Has anyone ever felt like your prayers failed? Come on, just like, let's be honest in here. Raise your hand if you felt like you, you prayed some prayers. You were like, God, I don't think you, like, maybe you didn't hear that one correctly. Or, like, maybe there was an error here. Maybe it was my language. Maybe I, was it the slang? It threw you off, didn't it? That had to have been what it, like, right? So, like, and so here we are, we're, like, we're communicating with God, and we don't feel like our prayers are answered. And here's the reality. God answers every prayer. It's just sometimes it's not the answer we like. But still, so, but you know who's praying for us, whose prayers never fail? Jesus. And this is beautiful because let me explain to you what intercession is for a second. I've been to intercessory prayer meetings, especially I grew up Pentecostal. Any Pentecostal, growing up Pentecostal folks in here? All right, you've been in some prayer meetings where they were like slaying the devil with oil. They got like dual barrel super soakers full of like extra virgin olive oil, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what I mean? Like, we just, we, yeah, we just hosing it all down, you know what I mean? Like, we're all walking out of here oily and anointed or whatever. Like, and so I can say that because I was one, all right? Am one? Was, I don't know. I forgot. Anyway, so doesn't matter. I'm a nomad. But 
All that to say is uh, that's, those were the circles that I grew up in because intercessory prayer was fighting the devil so that people could make it. Can I tell you something? Intercessory prayer has nothing to do with the devil. Intercessory prayer is 100% about God holding back his judgment from people, not holding back the enemy's tactics from people. Right? Because we serve a sovereign God who wills what he wills into existence and into plan. So what, the, what God uses us for to intercede is to say, when we're interceding for someone, we're not praying that the enemy would let them go. Listen, God can let, make the enemy let them go. What we need to be praying for is that God would hold back his judgment and wrath on this person and give me one more chance to give them this message of hope. Give them one more chance to respond to your gospel. Give them one more chance to say yes to you because I, I can see that you're working in there. Give them, and God, just hold back your judgment a little bit longer and let them have what you have for them. Please let them see. Open their eyes to the gospel and the good news that you died for them, Jesus. That, that is true intercession, not like devil get off of them. I don't know why I like default to like a country of accent whenever I like. I think that's like an element of my personal religious PTSD or something. I don't know what it is. but <laughs> Anyways, all right. So, but, so, so if we understand what intercession is, which is what? Holding back, like praying that God would hold back his judgment. And if Jesus is interceding on our behalf, what is Jesus in turn doing for those in the faith? Saying, God, I know they deserve this, but don't give it to them. Matter of fact, instead of giving it to them, place it all on what I did at the cross. So Jesus is interceding for us while we're down here. So where is Jesus at the right hand of the Father? And what is he doing? He's making intercession on our behalf that God would not give us what we deserve, which is wrath, but instead would pour out grace and mercy on us. Beautiful. Through whom we have now received at the end of verse 11, reconciliation. We have been reconciled. Anybody ever had your debt reconciled? Like the phone company? Right? That's... Right? Some of y'all are like, actually, no. Uh, I remember someone told me, like, they were like, someone called the phone company or whatever their bill they were getting it from, and they were like, yeah, I want to pay my bill. And they were like, uh, we need to make sure that it's you. And it's like, are other people calling to pay my bill? <laughs> like, and if they are, could you let them? Like, I don't see, like, <clears throat> anyways, nothing to do with this. Other than reconciliation, to be made, we have received reconciliation we have received through jesus christ being made right with god right <clears throat> we pick up verse 12 and we'll move pretty quick through some of the rest of this right therefore just as sin came into the world through one man talking about adam right adam and eve so sin came through adam in the garden and death came through sin in other words eternal death came because adam sinned right so death spread to all men because all sinned so, because Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Because sin is in the world, all of us have sinned. That makes sense? Good. All right? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, I want to help you unpack it. Well, I mean, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was at the type of the one who was to come. Okay, so let's unpack that for a second because that's a lot of stuff that can get confusing. So he was saying sin came through Adam, and because sin is in the world, all have sinned, right? But then he goes on to say where there is no law, sin can't exist. 
right? And so before he gave the Ten Commandments, before God gave the law, the Israelites weren't sinning by not doing the things that were not in the law. So he's, again, communicating mostly to Jews here, helping them understand their heritage that they may have disconnected from. All right, so that's kind of what he's doing. But the thing, what I want to get to right here is this idea that where there is no law, sin is not counted, right? And I think that this is an excellent perspective because the law created something, but even though the law was created, therefore sin was established as to what it could be, it helps us understand what Jesus accomplished on our behalf when he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to what? Fulfill the law. And so if Jesus came and fulfilled the law, how does Romans 5 help us understand that we who are saved can walk in grace and not feel condemnation? Yes, conviction, but not condemnation. Because where there is no law, because Jesus fulfilled the law, right, there is no breaking of the law. Which means, full picture for you, because Jesus fulfilled the law, it is not now that you have to worry about whether or not you've broken the law, but you get to receive grace even when you have broken the law with the confidence that Jesus finished what he started for you. Now, maybe that was confusing even more. I don't know. But let me help you for a second. Uh, I, I wrote this down and if any of you want to copy it later, you can. It's too much to copy right now. I'm not going to read it seven times. But for those under grace, the law doesn't apply to us as a means of measurement by how much we fall short, but as a means of measuring God's grace when we do. Let me help you again. For those under grace, in other words, for those who are in the faith, through those who believe in Christ, for those under grace, the law doesn't apply to us as a means of measurement by how much we fall short. The law, the Bible, Jesus' instructions isn't a measuring tool to remind you how much you fall short. It's there to remind you how much Jesus makes up the difference when you do. The reminder of who we're not should make us marvel at who Jesus is, not marvel at how bad we are. And even if we do marvel at the areas we get it wrong, we should do that in a way that causes us to then marvel at how good Jesus is. So the law isn't here. Yes, listen, the Bible is a mirror, right? How many of you notice when you try to read it, it reads you? You're like, boy, I still got stuff to work on. So that's okay. It reads us like a mirror, and it shows us all the areas we haven't got right yet. Now hear me, just so we're clear, that doesn't mean we're like, oh, cool, grace, then whatever. No, because it also says that for every believer, there should be fruit, which is the evidence that they are a believer. So we should change how we act and live. Our character should shift. We should aim to become godly. And as we aim to become godly and in the midst of trying to pursue holiness, fall short because we fall short, we should marvel not at how bad we are, but how good Jesus is that despite the fact that we fell short, he still loves us anyways. And that's what grace does for us. So he goes on to say in verse 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And it says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, plug for Leadership Pipeline. We do a whole lecture called Christology, and it will wreck your whole life in the best possible way. So even if you don't go to Pipeline in September, so not all of you aren't going, I get that. We have open lectures, and when we announce that that Christology one is happening, just go. 
right, and bring your own box of tissues. We don't pay for those. All right, so <laughs> verse 15, but the free gift, but the free gift is not like the trespass. In other words, what Jesus has given us is not like what we received from Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, talking about the death because of Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And what he's saying is Adam messed up one time and it released condemnation to the whole world. But Jesus died one time and it released an abundance of grace to the many. For if because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man Jesus Christ. So Paul is continuing to reiterate here that Adam messed it up for everybody. Listen, Adam will get jumped in the back alleys of heaven. I'm just letting you know right now. Let's go to verse 18. We're almost done. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Again, talking about Adam releasing sin. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now this is an important distinction because we remember Christ had perfect obedience to the Father. Right? If he sinned at all, his death would have been null and void for us. Right? But it was, it was his obedience, his perfection in his life that made him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Right. And so it says uh, that the obedience. And so by the one man's obedience, his perfection, his inability to sin or not inability, but because he didn't sin, the many. Who is the many? Us will be made what? Righteous. Now, pause for a second. Did it say you will earn righteousness? Or you will be made righteous. Did you do this or did God do this for you? Right? So this is an important distinction. Verses 20 and 21, and we're ending. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. In other words, the law came to increase, help you identify all the ways you got it wrong. You continue to get it wrong. We will keep getting it wrong. And this is so beautiful. This is 20 and 21 is like, yes, because Paul puts a giant exclamation point on this whole thing. Right? Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, some translations say where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So, where, man, where you mess up, where you can't seem to get it right, and sin abounds, guess what abounds even more? Grace. They say, Brad, does that mean we can just go wild out and do whatever we want? Obviously not. Because remember when we talked earlier about that Jesus isn't in our heart, but the Holy Spirit is. Anybody ever tried to go back to what you used to do while the Holy Spirit's there now? Right? Anybody ever know that misery? Right? I remember the first time I went, so I, I distributed narcotics. Is that the right term? Yeah. Um, 
like what's the what's the medical way I could say this? Uh, I yeah, street pharmacist. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I was a street pharmacist uh, for a while, and I remember I remember Jesus. I remember Jesus saved me from that. Praise God. And I remember uh, there was a moment where not to get too deep into the weeds because we need to hurry, but not getting too deep. But but there was a moment where I needed. I needed to um, finalize a few aspects of my former life so that it didn't follow me into my current one. And I remember going and, and having to handle a, a number of things in that environment. And I remembered the like literal disgust I felt on myself in that environment. I remember like, man, back in the day, this did not bother me at all. Like, I kind of knew, like, eh, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but hey, right? But this time, after, after the Holy Spirit, after I had been justified by grace and through faith and the Holy Spirit had been poured into our hearts and the hope had been generated, all of what we've talked about tonight, and I had to go back into that environment just one time. And I remember being in that environment one time and going, oh, my gosh, I never want to be here again. Right? Why? Because... I recognize what was in me that wasn't in me before, right? So can you just go out and just sin all you want because grace abounds all the more? Of course not. Grace is there for where we struggle to get it right, but our heart towards God is saying, I want to get it right, right? For those whose heart never wants to get it right, friend, grace isn't abounding to you, but wrath will. And I encourage you, my, my prayer, my encouragement for you tonight, this is the moment of this message where I remind you, the wrath of God is coming for many. And if you are at a point where you have allowed your passions for the world to dictate who you are and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ and through that been afforded the grace of Jesus Christ so that you could be saved, then hear me, I plead with you, repent Turn away from what is in your life and turn towards Christ because the hope that is in us isn't hope for you. It is wrath for you. And you will pay. Listen, every sin that has ever been committed will be paid for under the righteous, holy God that we defined in the beginning. It will either be paid for by the person who committed the sins or it will be paid for by Jesus because their faith was placed on him. And it's been surrendered to him, but it will be paid for. And so I want to plead with you tonight that for those of us who have succumbed to that aspect of sin and have just decided that it's no big deal, it can be a part of my life. I'm here to tell you, please repent of that and allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction so that you can turn towards God and turn away from you. Because, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, but hear me, not your righteousness, Christ's righteousness that's been placed on you because you put your faith in him, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul ends with what he reminds us of throughout. There's something coming. We need to put our faith in Jesus so that we can receive the grace of Jesus so that one day we'll meet Jesus and live with him forever. And today, I invite you into that. So let's stand to our feet across this place. We don't always do a salvation call on Wednesday nights, but I just feel like it's necessary for tonight because far be it for us to read all of Romans 5 and someone walk out of here 
not knowing what their next step should be. And so I want to invite you to close your eyes all across this place. We will do this relatively quickly. If you are here tonight and you have allowed sin, listen, not, not as a believer, but you struggle with a few things. That's not what I'm talking about. You have succumbed, given over to sin, and it currently rules your life. And you know that the wrath of God is coming for that. We've read it. It's coming for that. But I'm here to tell you that it is not hopeless, but because of Jesus Christ, it is hopeful. And tonight, if that is you, no one's looking around. Quite frankly, all of us got our own issues, man. But tonight, God may have carved this moment out for you right now for you to say yes. And tonight, with no one looking around, if that's you, I need Jesus. I need to repent. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I just believe if Jesus made a public proclamation, we should make one too. And if that's you tonight, would you just raise your hand right now and say, I just need to change. I, I need to repent. i got to change something in my life. I need to turn towards Christ, and I need to pursue him. God bless you. Awesome. Thank you. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Like I said, I'm not here to embarrass you. I just want, man, I, I, I want to see God transform hearts and lives tonight. Is there any more? Is there any more? Yes. Awesome. God bless you. Yes. Thank you. Let's pray. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And this prayer doesn't make you saved, okay? Your faith in Christ alone makes you saved. Right? And now, because of that, he's going to generate a new heart in you. But we're going to pray a prayer together to put words to the actions of our heart that says, Jesus, you're now in control of my life. And the whole church is going to pray it with you because now you are brothers and sisters in Christ with us. So let's pray together, church. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned. I've messed up. But I need you. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And so I put my faith in you. I receive grace. And because of that, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. And I am now new. So I give you my life forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that pray that. Listen, do me a huge favor as we wrap up real quick. If you prayed that, grab one of the Connect cards out of the seat back in front of you. Fill it out. Check a box. Um, anybody that's on the Connect team, if one of y'all can make it to the Connect Center, um, take it there and just let, give it to them. And, and we just want to get your information. We want to help you with the next steps. God's not done. This is the beginning. We want to help you on the next steps, all right? And so please let us help you. We want to do that. Um, and so just grab that Connect card, fill it out, take it out there. They'll give it to you. It'll be discreet. We're not going to, like, gash you out in front of the whole lobby or nothing like that, okay? So it's like, we just want to help you, all right? Um, hey, listen, I want to pray for you. Um, I pray that tonight was encouraging. Romans 5 is my favorite, man. And so um, I pray you're encouraged. So, Father, we just thank you. God, thank you so much. I thank you for my brothers and sisters tonight who, who God stepped out of darkness and into light. We praise you, Jesus, for your grace. And we thank you that it's not about us. It's all about you. You even saved us, not for us, but for you. God, that your glory would be revealed in our lives. And so, God, I just pray tonight that we are encouraged. I pray that we walk out of here with our heads high, confident that it is not about how much we can do, but it is how much you've done for us. And so we marvel at who you are, Jesus, and we celebrate you. We thank you tonight, and we love you. In Jesus' name, say it with me. Amen and amen. You guys have a fantastic night.